I'm Christian Chiller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Chiller Squeaks, with me, Christian Chiller. A short news and links roundup before I get stuck into the main interview this episode, which is with Sefi Carmel of Sphere Tracks, a new uh, modern look at music licensing, music licensing specifically for TV, film, games, otherwise known as synchronizations. That's coming up. But to begin with, Let's start with a few interesting links. I've been messing around a lot more with music and music technology over the past few weeks. Some of this will uh, make itself known in some videos and other things quite soon. So actually, the links this week are quite dominated by music and music technology. But there's a few others from my more traditional developer tech angle first. And the first is revisiting the Terraform discussion from last week. Unsurprisingly, HashiCorp's change to the licensing and their business model caused an open source fork of Terraform called OpenTF. I guess we will see how compatible it remains with uh, mainstream, mainline Terraform moving forward. There's also been other news recently around Red Hat and how they uh, haven't always stuck to that backward compatibility. I'm actually going to be attending Open Source Summit in a few weeks in Bilbao, and that is the question I'm going to ask a lot of the people I speak with, actually. What is, with, with all these changes recently, what is the true current state of open source? I'm interested to get some opinions from the people there, some of who will work for some of those companies and some of those who won't. But anyway, back to HashiCorp and Terraform. This is a post from ShiftMag talking a little bit more in detail about those license changes and the OpenTF foundation. And I don't mean that in terms of a, a foundation. I mean that in terms of it, its beginning. <laughs> Maybe I should have picked a better word. There we go. Anyway, I've, I've, it's too late now and its own manifesto and who's behind it and why it happened. And some of their reason for doing this is because they cite that the new license that HashiCorp has chosen is quite unclear about who they consider competitors and what they consider competitive projects, which I think is, an often, is often something that companies will do in these licenses, but it, 
it means that it almost gives them the right to do to sort of make their mind up as they want, which is not very open in terms of community. Specifically, they mention a bit of a lack of communication and clarity around these concerns as well. And there is a quote inside the article saying that basically if a CTO or if a technology decision maker inside of a company decides to use Terraform, could they consider them a competitor in the future? I mean, I kind of get the splitting hairs here and that the lack of communication and clarity is a bad thing. But a lot of companies use Terraform for a lot of things that have nothing to do with Terraform. So... I guess the concern is more will they start trying to charge for commercial licenses of Terraform or something like that, maybe, more than a more general, oh, we're running an e-commerce business, so we can claim that as a commercial usage of Terraform, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's maybe the problem. It's unlikely, but it could be the case. It, it, it could be an excuse for HashiCorp to to leverage financial burden on competitors, even though it's not a direct product that Terraform is being used for. That sort of thing is where it could get interesting. And then likewise, I mean, there's an argument of how many of these commercial products have open source contributions from outside of the main company. But of course, it's going to put off those drive-by open source developers wanting to contribute because what are they, you know, are they just contributing to a business's bottom line now if they contribute to Terraform? So we'll see where OpenTF goes. Maybe I will try and get an interview with some of the people behind it and we could dig a little bit more detail into what they're doing and why. Similar news on everything changing. This is an article on The Verge called End of the Google-verse. And I think we have definitely seen an increased amount of people using uh, generative AI chatbot assistance to ask questions and get answers to things. There has been a slight decrease in that. I'd also be interested in seeing the actual numbers. Uh, I don't know if it's possible to compare them. How much has this affected Google, DuckDuckGo, etc.? I'm, I'm actually a DuckDuckGo user. And sometimes I wonder if there's something hidden behind these numbers as well, is that maybe there's been a general switch from Google as a kind of ad-supported source of information more than just everyone is moving to not using search engines at all. Hard to say. Again, that could be an interesting conversation to have with the people behind companies like DuckDuckGo. Don't know. But it's interesting, though, because I hear so many times when people talking about using things like ChatGPT as a source of information, you should always check it. You should always double-check it. But I wonder how many people really do. I think we can see there's been many examples in the past of people taking the word of Wikipedia or the, the word of writing on Wikipedia at uh, face value and at trust and not questioning it and not checking it. So why is it likely to be any different with something like ChatGPT that actually sounds very authoritative? <laughs> so it's hard to not say no to it sometimes, and especially when everyone's in a hurry, etc., etc. The interesting argument this article makes by going through uh, a history of the company itself, Google slash Alphabet, is that maybe you know, they, I don't know that they shot themselves in the foot, but as always with a, with a, uh, a first mover, and not, they're not the first mover in search, but the first mover in this kind of advancement of search. They made everyone conform to certain rules for SEO and page rank so you would get featured in Google. 
Um, they would endlessly change these rules and not really make it clear as to what was changing and why. And you had to endlessly keep up with this. And that maybe people got sick of this. <laughs> and the, the combination of this constant change plus now a new way of finding information, maybe it was a, a perfect combination that has led to this rejection of, of Google as an, as an authoritative entity now. But of course, the interesting thing is, aside from AdSense, which is basically what is behind Google Search, and maybe Google Cloud, I'm not really sure how much of a profit that makes, it's how Google makes most of its money. So if it starts to fail, what will become of projects like um, Android? Definitely. Um, but others as well, Workspace, Gmail, and all these tools that many people rely on for free or for minimal cost, Will they have to be stepped up? Um, will they just go completely? Especially something like Android, where really it funds itself by feeding into that knowledge machine. And it's interesting to see uh, the same day I record this, this is not featured as, a, as an, an article roundup, but the same day I record this, Google Workspace has added a lot of new generative AI features that were all shown at I.O., covering this use of these tools inside some of those. So I sometimes wonder if Google is acknowledging this and knows this and is using this as a time to start switching a lot of its priorities in a similar way that Apple has when it's been switching a lot of its revenue generation into services. And I wonder if Google is trying to do the same. Is that by it knows that maybe the time of search as its moneymaker is slowly coming to an end and it's reinvesting into other places. It makes some money to try and make more money. And interestingly, in some ways, it'll make it a more transparent business. If you make money out of selling workplace services, it's a lot more transparent than mining data from from search in some respects. So it could make the company better in the long run, but that is all conjecture, of course. And as always, as I say so many times, we shall see. And if you have any thoughts on anything I've covered so far or also cover later, then please do get in touch on kristenschiller.com. The site has been undertaking a lot of content updates and will have a new reskinning very, very soon. But on the homepage there, you can find my contact details. Always great to hear from you. And if you read or listen to this on Substack, you can also just jump in the comments there and let me know your thoughts. Okay, now... I promised a lot of music content. Here it comes via The Power of Technology. These are both on Music Radar, which is a magazine I've started reading recently on kind of music technology. I think I've mentioned a couple of times I used to be, like many others of my age, an Amiga fan. And I used to use this very obscure music program called Octomed. And I sort of reacquainted myself with it recently because I found a bunch of old music files. Most of them were in GarageBand and Cubase, and I was able to reuse them. But I had a few in there from this program, Octomed, which is a program on the Amiga. And I was wondering, if I really want to, how can I listen to these again? I found someone made a Windows fork at a certain time. It's also still pretty old. So that might give me an opportunity, a window, shall we say, to uh, resurrect some of these tracks somehow. But then interestingly, Octomed had a few users. It was quite popular. But one of the most famous users was Calvin Harris, who recorded a lot of his earlier stuff uh, with it. And it's actually an interview with him in Music Radar talking about it. So I feel like sometimes I mention this program quite often 
and very few people have ever heard of it. <laughs> Actually, I, I've recorded an interview. It will come out on the podcast soon with one other person who does remember it. But Calvin Harris was one of the main famous people. So often I think, uh, not that I think did I make this up, I, I could find it on, on Wikipedia and other websites, but uh, was I the only person who used it apart from Calvin Harris? And sometimes just seeing this in print, as it were, is reassuring to me that I wasn't the only one. So, and he reminisces about it. It was, are you ready for this, kids? It allowed you to do a whopping eight tracks of music when the physical hardware limit was four, which in those days was incredible. <laughs> now it was like nothing, but in those days it was frankly incredible. Eight whole tracks wow the stuff i made well i'll dig it out soon and remind myself probably how bad it sounded but anyway it's nice to know that other people enjoyed it too taking a slightly different angle here this is from the ctm magazine the ctm is a music festival here in berlin this is actually something from a little while back a well-tempered history of noise and this is something uh, that attracted my attention because I've been talking to, uh, strangely, a bunch of musicians from Jordan recently at a music producers meetup here. And a quick music lesson, most Western music, most sort of Western pop and rock music that you probably know, love or loathe is formed around a scales of 12 notes. I won't go into any details of those, but you have uh, whole notes and you have semitones, basically notes between notes. But in a lot of other music in the world, especially in uh, India and uh, the Arabic world, there are also quarter notes, notes between those notes themselves. And uh, some Western musicians will experiment with these. And of course, if you're playing like analog stringed instruments and things, you can kind of make them in passing, but they're not formally there on the instrument. And talking to, to these people from Jordan, they're telling me this is quite common on their instruments. And also how they, with modern synthesizers, which conform to the kind of Western ideals of music, there are devices that let you form these notes, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and this article is basically about that. But take, looking at it from the perspective of how, you know, uh, a Western pair of ears may consider some of that music as noise, but also vice versa. And what is noise? I, I often think about this when we, talk about, when we think about distortion on, on heavy metal or heavy rock or punk music. This was an intentional uh, destruction of sound back when it sort of came about in the 60s and 70s and discordant music and all this sort of stuff. And so this article was really interesting in, in looking at that from different perspectives. And it's something that really interests me when it comes into the general area of artificial intelligence and music. Music can be quite formulaic, but often a lot of music that is popular goes against those formulas and it doesn't make sense. And I often wonder how an artificial intelligence could generate that kind of music that mathematically, formulaically doesn't work. But to a human, a certain human, it does. And this is something that really fascinates me as well, because uh, I would imagine that a lot of the music tools that can generate uh, music at the moment have been trained on probably Western music. So trying to get them to generate these sorts of sounds will probably be a challenge. And yeah, I've been uh, trying to investigate how I can explore some of this, uh, these scales that would be possible, but I uh, obviously don't have instruments that can play them either. So, uh, I mean, I'm in a good city to experiment with it, but uh, I'm interested to, to dig more into it. And this was a great in-depth uh, look at the kind of cultural 
as well as technical aspects of some of that. And then finally, back to Music Radar. This was uh, this is a an infamous story that was much dug up again when Charlie Watts on the Rolling Stones died, when he punched Mick Jagger in the face. And there's a wonderful photo in this article. I only uh, bring it up mostly because I've been thinking about Charlie Watts a lot because I've been teaching drums recently, and I always use him as an example of someone who did a lot with very little, especially when the conversation from the students comes up with modern drum kits, like, do you need all of this? And I often use him as an example of saying no. He played gigantic stadiums with a very small drum kit and did a lot with it. Uh, but also I've been listening to a podcast recently that is covering some anecdotes from one of their tours and then this kind of thing. So it was just in my feed and I couldn't resist taking that trip down memory lane again. He was an interesting person in a, actually a more interesting band than I realize sometimes reading and listening around them. So if that interests you at all, <laughs> take a look. This episode is brought to you literally by Zencaster, an all-in-one platform for creating, sharing, and getting analytics and monetizing your podcast. I am using it to create this show from uh, getting the guests to join me to distribution, to editing, to tagging, uh, all sorts of things. If you are interested in finding out more, then head on over to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my discount code chinchilla squeaks all one word for 30% off your first month on a paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences that I do for all your podcasting and content needs. It is time to share your story. There was a reason I mixed in so much music technology into this episode, and that is now because I have my interview with Sefi from SphereTrax. Today I'm joined by Sefi Carmel of SphereTrax. Uh, I, I don't actually know how I first found SphereTrax because it was already on my linked like list of links to look at, and then someone else told me about it. <laughs> but uh, what is SphereTrax? What are you trying to do? Uh, hi, Chris. So uh, SphereTrax is a carefully curated gallery of uh, songs and soundtracks. It's a licensing platform, and um, it's it's designed to solve a few problems that I, that I came across and became aware of in the way that um, uh, music is delivered for use in media, i.e. music for, for, uh, for film or advertising or trailers or games. So we, we connect, SphereTrack connects uh, creators from all over the world, uh, songwriters, bands, DJs, producers, with, on the one hand, our suppliers of music, with, uh, with our clients, which are filmmakers, ad agencies, games designers. And it does it in a way that's, um, that has a few um, really unique USPs um, that I'll, I'll tell you about in a minute. But that, in a nutshell, is, is what Spheretrex does. Okay. What, what brought you, you personally? You mentioned it a little bit, but what took you to turning it into a product and a company? <laughs> well, uh, I've been working in the space of... Um, uh, kind of changing hats between uh, composition, sound design, and mixing um, for for films and advertising and and uh, and games for the past uh, thirty seven years, he says, showing his age. 
And uh, along that time, I've seen people really struggle with uh, trying to find music for uh, for tracks. On the one hand, I've seen you know my friends from from ad agencies or my friends that are that are video editors or, or directors really struggle to find music for projects they were looking for. And on the other hand, I've seen my composer friends struggle to get paid on time, struggle to to get paid adequately. Uh, struggle to get to understand, have visibility and transparency on what they are due in the next quarter for their music being used and in, in synced in in various um, media applications. So, um, I thought that it would be really great to to create a product that that alleviates those uh, those woes. Yeah. And so it's a combination of things. I messed around a little bit with it earlier. So the the main sort of interface you end up at for a for a non um, for for a consumer of the platform, I guess, is like a you can upload videos. You drag them on, and then I think, as far as I understand, and this is some of the details I wanted to check into, you can then kind of add music files over the video to see what fits. Is that Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and the um, the idea that you can, if you're a, an, a creative making a, a video, that you can drag and drop your video in and see how your video works with our music is a unique one. Nobody else does that. So it's it's you know it's um it's a it's a very powerful tool for people that are making content to see uh, they can they can actually um, edit their video on the platform as well. Uh, and they can work collaboratively with other creators. So this is very much, you know, a post-COVID product where we're seeing people working more and more and more remotely and working in teams from different locations. So it's um, it's built to accommodate that, where people can collaborate Google Doc style, uh, but but they're in you know different continents. And that's one thing I can see. Like you can comment on the timeline and things like that. Yes. Yeah, you can say, you know, I like yeah. this bit, I don't like this bit. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Um, but I also one, of, one yeah. of the things that, that is kind of inherent to the platform is that I've been listening for all those decades to how people describe music. Mm. And one of the things that um, really stands out is that people describe music in in emotional terms Uh or in associative terms, they don't they don't describe them in musical terms usually, and they don't describe them in in, in music in in technical terms either. So you know you'll sit with a client, you'll offer them a track, say, "What do you think of this for your orange juice commercial?" And they'll say, "Yeah, but I need something. It's good, but I need something a little happier." <laughs> and you know what does that mean? Uh, well, on Sphere tracks, you can dial up a happiness fader. Yeah, I can see you this. You can choose yeah. moods and, and emotions, and 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 uh, uh, you can say, "I want something happier," and it will actually bring you a track that is happier. Um, there is also an AI module where you can type in, uh, "I need a track for um, an orange juice commercial," and it will suggest something that's uplifting and happy and fun. Or you can say, "I, I want a track for a documentary about the Holocaust," and it will uh, suggest stuff that's pretty grim. And this is the I can see the the I didn't quite uh, pick up on the the sliders for the moods. I thought it was just playlists earlier, and now you, now I see the big kind of slider handle. I realize what you mean, and then the the um, the, the the song listing changes ever so slightly as I go. And is yeah. the the assistant box is that the kind of smarter search? 
yeah, that's the AI um, assistant. We're we're kind of you know avoiding the 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 those two letters AI on yeah, the sure. user <laughs> interface because at the moment there's a there's a bit of a um, um, fear. Well, a fear debate going on. Um, so it's important to uh, emphasize that the AI is assistive AI that helps yeah. you choose between tracks that we have on our platform that were created by humans. It's not generative AI. None of the yeah. music is yeah. created by Skynet. And that actually is interesting when I added in the um, the search term, the sliders change as well, sort of. Yes. Relatively speaking to what it thought. And I put music for rain and the results I got were ambient, meditative, calm, peaceful. That's mostly what you think of as rain if you're not yep. in it. Yes. <laughs> and I just wondered on the on the on the um AI side, there was just something I was wondering that I couldn't quite figure out earlier. Mm-hmm. If I um add a music track over a top of a video, does it manipulate the video in any way or is it just playing no. it back? Okay. No, it's just playing Sometimes it back. Sometimes you it's... get that trickery in the brain, don't you, where you think it's happening, but you can never quite sure if it is actually changing or not. No, well, it's a very, very well known experiment where yeah. people were played, you know, um two uh same video with two pieces of music yeah. and they, they, they perceived it completely differently you know yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) so let's come to the licensing side i sort of went through the steps a little bit um i didn't really kind of check out because i didn't necessarily want to actually license anything um how how does that work from the creative side like that you have no sort of self-service creative feature at the moment as far as i can tell it's all um curated and do you do individual deals with all the artists or is there a standard model that you're doing with the licensing? Uh, we do um, a deal with the, with our, with our artists. That is uh, the best deal out there because we, we, we what we what we, um, as a composer myself uh, and, and other composers on the team that, that put Sphere Tracks together, um, a not- notable one is Isaac Short, the, the COO of Spheretrax. He's also a very talented composer. It was important to us to build a set of uh, to build Spheretrax around a set of values where it is very composer centric. There are plenty of what I call the big bad wolves of the music industry that will give composers a shit deal and say take it or leave it. Uh, and it was important for us to give composers a very composer friendly deal. So. The composers get offered um, a deal where they get to, to hold on to uh, the majority of any any income goes to the mm. composer. Mm. So uh, it could be, for instance, um, 55%. If there's a sync deal, it could be 55% of the sync goes to the composer and 60% of the publishing. I mean, it, it does have some parameters of that it varies, uh, and we offer different deals according to composers different um uh profile so if they're if they're you know if they're they're well established and have yeah. r- r- um, are more recognized they'll get a bit of a better deal but but the uh, but even a completely unknown composer will get a will get a deal that still gives them the majority of the income and we've had um we've had forty eight thousand tracks submitted so far to the platform okay. okay um from all over the world and we've accepted 5,000 onto the platform. So we've been quite picky. Yeah. So it's a, that's yeah. about 10% of what, what we 
have been submitted. So in theory, in some respects, you're, it's almost a little bit like a uh, modern, which doesn't take much, to be honest with you, a modern, uh, smarter publisher in some respects. Um, well, it is. It is. So, yeah, yeah. We, we absolutely. We become the publishers for these, uh, you know, artists, and 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 many of them are artists that are um, from, you know, obviously the, the the usual places that you'd expect, like Europe and Northern Europe and and you know North America. But there are also many from uh, places that really surprised us, like Mongolia and Fiji and Virgin Islands and the Middle East and Japan and and Africa. And so it's it's really kind of very um, very much an equalizer and a, and a play of playing field leveler uh, in that respect. Yeah, and how how long has the platform been around? Well, we've been the platform launched uh, soft launched on uh, May the fourth, okay. Star Wars Day. So um, uh, it's been around for not very long at all. It's been around for a little more than two months. Um, very early days, but um, things are happening. We um, started, uh, we have uh, over 600 people registered to, um, as registered users that are, you know, going onto the platform, searching for music, uh, and uh, some of the uh, emails of those people are, you know, emails of like at Netflix or at BBC or at Disney and so we're seeing we're seeing some traction in that respect, and we've also had uh, some early placements, and um, okay. we've had uh, one of our uh, composers uh, place a track. We've placed a track for one of our composers on a um, cinema commercial that we mixed um, about two weeks ago, just in time for the um, Barbie premiere. <laughs> it was a cinema commercial for uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, the West End show. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was showing just before the, the Barbie um, premiere. I was just thinking, so um, this is very much almost, I think it's almost like a, a sort of uh, testing and auditioning and experimenting platform. Are you thinking of offering any features moving forward to let people take that further? So it's like, yeah, I really like this, but this is a, a web-based platform. I'd like to move this into DaVinci or Final Cut or, or Logic or something like that. Are you thinking of offering a way to sort of take what they started into into professional quote unquote oh, tools? Absolutely, or? Uh, you can uh, when so you can download um, the one uh, one of the one of the things that we haven't mentioned is the fact that um, uh, Searchrex is the only um, licensing platform to to. Uh, license music in Dolby Atmos so you can you can download you can download an ADM Atmos track which has all the stems of um, the track you can download that into whatever Pro Tools Logic DaVinci Premiere um, and you can you know create your own remix there edit it and uh, yeah I can see that now actually yeah Um, and we didn't really cover how does it look from the, I mean, they're both creators, but from the <laughs> from the video creators side, um, when it's licensed, um, uh, is it always is it licensed like a one off, like when you you know you buy stock art or something, or is it licensed per 
play or are there choices or is it just one licensing model? Yeah, so if you go to the licensing page, it asks you what your usage is. So you can, uh, it says, okay, what, what do we need this for? Do we need this for an ad? Okay, so it's a, what ad, TV or online? And then you select, you say, I need this for a TV ad for six months for the UK um, and I need the entire track and you select what format you want it in stereo, surround or Atmos and it gives you a price. Yeah, I've just I've been trying to. For some reason, I seem to get stuck at the checkout at the moment. But um... but ah, because maybe you haven't selected all the options on the. So if you go on on your screen, there's you select what it is, and then how long for. Okay, I get it. So then, then this amount I'm seeing is is a one off. Yes. So this amount is a one off for that usage. Uh, we're about to launch a subscription model as well, where it's like you know all you can eat for various usages. So yeah, if yeah. you're a production company that just does online, you'll buy a subscription that covers you for that. If you do TV, you'll buy a subscription that covers you yeah. for that, etc. I can see it also changes based on the format. I, yes. Just dropping from surround to stereo, I saved half. half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and are you thinking of having sort of self-service for musicians or do you don't really want to go into that territory and it becomes a bit too much like SoundCloud or something, I guess? No, no. The, the, a very important element here is the curation. Uh, we don't want it to be self-served. We want it to be everything on there is, you know, super high quality, uh, vetted for um, its musical attributes as well as technical quality and and so yeah we we definitely don't want to go down the self-serve uh, route okay if i may ask and feel free to not answer this question if it gives away too much but um how do you match the the music to the things that people look for is it a, a kind of manual tagging or is it um yeah uh, ai models or somewhere between the two or well at the moment it's a team of 11 very talented uh, um, guys that are all MA level uh, music, MA graduates from uh, uh, Royal College of Music, um, uh, Goldsmiths, uh, Guildford, etc. Yeah. Uh, we are training an AI mod module in, in, in the background. Uh, when, this, when the data set becomes big enough and, yeah, uh, you know, sure. and, the, and it becomes reliable enough it will be more ai assisted but at the moment it's 11 talented guys sitting and tagging okay okay it seems to well i didn't listen to the ones that i got but it seemed pretty <laughs> seemed pretty good so far and then i can see the one other aspect you have is this uh actually no let's talk about the collaboration i noticed um i can add comments and things like that and then if i started to share with other people we could have some back and forth and is there, I think I saw there's an ability to, yeah, viewer, editor, admin, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you can, you yeah. can send a link, you know, you can send either a collaborative window to your, to your teammate where they can collaborate, or you can send just a link of the video with the music to a client for kind of client approval type things. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, and uh, so it's relatively early days, but what's, What's what's planned for next? I can see a community link that doesn't seem to do anything right now. Maybe that's one thing that's on the plan. But uh... well, what we are we are um, the community aspect of it. I think is very exciting okay. to me. I think uh, I think the fact that you know um, 
a lot of musicians work today is very insular. People are sitting, yeah. you know, in a room yeah. creating music. And I think the, the ability to interact as a community with like-minded individuals and, you know, share music like stuff that other people are doing kind of, you know, um, is, is interesting. So uh, at the moment we have 140 composers and cre creators on the composer side or songwriter side, uh, which is, you know, uh, it's quite a small community as online communities go. But on the other hand, it's quite a, quite a large community in terms of the, the musical force behind it. Um, so the, the, one of the plans is to, to, to build up that community. Um, another plan is to, to add, um, um, you know, sound effects and sound design, mm -hmm. um, capabilities onto the platform as well. Um, and, and, uh, but the, the main goal at the moment is, um, is our next funding round and, and, you know, and kind of going harder on the marketing, uh, our first, uh, funding round of 350,000 pounds we raised uh, to help us, uh, build the platform and, and, uh, you know, uh, all of the initial outgoings of, of building, building the initial team and, uh, and setting it all up. But there is a long way to go and there is a lot, you know, still to be done. We'd like to have a bigger team. We'd like to be able to, um, to grow all aspects of the business. I mean, one of the aspects that is sort of tied up to tied to the community side of it is, is a magazine that we've started putting out, um, weekly, which kind of features artists in the community. And, uh, um, so yeah, that all that thing is, rec will require more people, more, more salaries. Yeah. yeah. Hence our, hence our next raise, uh, um, of funds. Have you struggled with that at all? I, mean, I wonder if there's a little bit of a misunderstanding around um, funders of what, you know, you have, they think of music and they think of people just sort of in, as you say, in their bedrooms making music and uploading it to Bandcamp or SoundCloud, which is sort of low profit most of the time. And then you have people who do soundtracks and, and advertising music and things like that, which can be more reliable but did you mm -hmm. ever struggle to get people to understand kind of what the market is here? Because I would imagine it's a, a market that not so many people know about, or are you lucky enough to find people who understood it? You mean in terms of investors? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the people that invested in it, you know, got it and liked the idea. One of our investors is uh, uh, a, a company from the Netherlands that invested £100,000 into Sphere Tracks that, that, uh, uh, are in this space they deal with uh, managing rights for films okay. and music yep. and so yep. you know they get it they, yep. they see the potential yeah. but i think that we're, that uh, you know we what we're seeing from ad agencies that we're presenting this to and digital agencies that people people love it people get it and people say this will save us so much time yeah. Actually, on that kind of whole wider ecosystem, and the UK is pretty good with this because I'm still registered with um, collection societies in the UK, so mm -hmm. I kind of know what they're like. Are you thinking, are you, did you also connect up with things like the right societies or are you sort of trying to bypass that traditional system completely? <laughs> no, no, we're not, not at all because I think that uh, bypassing PROs um, 
disenfranchises composers. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that yeah. you know. So so there is to to everything that we do. There is a, a sync element that you know uh, the client pays a sync fee yeah. when they sync, and then there's um, residuals that are paid yeah. for yeah. for the usage to the PRO and yeah. So we're, no, we're yeah. we're believers in, in that old school system. It could be improved, of course. It could be, you know, the collections could be more accurate and by the PROs, but that's a different, different conversation. No, it, it, it is. It's, it's funny because I, I went back uh, for the first time in quite some time. I was registering some new music with the PPL because previously mm. I always had a, a publisher that did it for me, which I don't have anymore. So I was kind of like, oh, there's a lot of paperwork I need to fill in here. Um, but uh, which for those of the uninitiated, just to basically get a, a track number that identifies a track as a track. Because mm-hmm. um, the last time I really did it was when you were literally releasing things, not just putting them out on services. So, <laughs> so. Yeah. but also it's funny we actually have uh, in Berlin. There's the ICE ICE that does a lot of the central kind of yeah. gathering of information for a lot of the European collection societies. It's kind mm-hmm. of strange that they're based here. <laughs> we actually have a few friends who work for them, so you know you you have some drinks with them and they start you realize it's it's still people doing a lot of it, trying to figure out the details and things like absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah. We work closely with ICE. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, they're, they're not too far from where I am. So, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because um, I see it from both sides. I still get paid royalties for stuff I did like years ago, but then I also hear from friends who are doing the side for the for the collection as well. This <laughs> is kind of interesting. Okay, cool. And uh, maybe one final thing because, um, I don't know, it, it, it didn't immediately grab me as being what it was going to be about. Like, where'd the name come from? Few tracks. Well, uh, immersive uh, yeah, format. So Atmos, Atmosphere, Sphere. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> and uh you mentioned you do composing too where might have we heard some of your work or where can we hear some of your work apart from uh, sphere tracks of course well of course i was about to plug sphere tracks <laughs> it's all there and uh, uh but um i recently finished uh, composing music for a feature film uh that is not out yet but will be out soon called rebel princess uh that's an animation uh feature a uh, very female empowering and culturally diverse story. Uh, with that, um, because it's culturally diverse, it was really fun to record because it was musicians from, you know, Middle Eastern musicians, African yep. musicians, as well as a, an, um, an orchestra. Um, there's also um, many, many TV programs that I did for, for National Geographic for BBC. I mean, BBC was, there was a, a series called Magic. Um, then there was uh, uh, in, in, uh, a series called Ecstasies on National Geographic and a series called Weird Science on Discovery. Okay. Yeah. Um, and um, feature films other than there's, there's Skin Traffic with Michael Rourke and Mickey uh, uh, Mickey Rourke and uh, and Daryl Hannah and um, Eric Roberts um, and um, instant death, instant death with Lou Ferrigno. Um, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to do and uh, 
Instant death sounds uh, sounds entertaining. <laughs> it kind of does what it says on the tin. It's, you know, Luferino beating people up, being very monosyllabic about it. Well, maybe not so much. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I'll just find the soundtrack. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, Sefi, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, have a great day. See you on Sphertrex. And that was my interview with Sefi. A couple of new things for me. I'm about to actually record a whole bunch of uh, intro, uh, sort of the messages you will hear in podcasts. That's the repeating how to support me and stuff like that. I'm about to overhaul all that very soon. I was going to try and get it in for this episode, but I think I want to script it a bit more. So until then... You could still just head over to christianchiller.com and find all those ways to support what I'm doing. And there'll be a few more coming up probably for the next episode. But on top of all that, a few things from me over on Medium. You will find a couple of other blog posts from me. Uh, one covering Aeon Timeline, a tool I use for timelining stories, especially my fiction stories. And another one on my updates on how I now do note-taking and knowledge management, looking at margin note, raindrop, and obsidian, which I have become something of a convert to. So you can find all of those there. And I have a lot more in the works. On the video front, I have a video on my YouTube channel, which is a reproduction of my Dynamic Docs talk from API The Docs earlier this year where I dig into, at a conceptual level, some of the concepts I've been thinking around dynamic documentation. And very soon, probably a day or so after this releases, I will have a video on a wonderful tool called Display Placer that lets you kind of arrange your screens if you're using macOS. So you can look forward to all of those. But most importantly, I have a collection of flash fiction out paving the way paving the way for my novel release that is coming soon. It is called Small Gregarious Fiction. You can find more details on my website, chrischinchilla.com slash books. But it's available on Amazon Kindle, Amazon Print On Demand, and also Drive Through Fiction, where you can also find an audio version of it if you want to listen to more of me rambling on. I'd appreciate uh, if you buy a copy. I've made it very, very affordable. So uh, head on over and pick a, cup, a copy of that. Anyone uh, reviews fiction out there wants a copy, let me know, and I can also get one to you. That's about it. Uh, there's going to be, yet again, some more things happening quite soon, but uh, that's the, the main things for now. I have been Christian Chiller. This has been Chinchilla Squeaks. And as always, thank you very much for joining me and take care, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter and find all of my writing, games, work and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind the scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.